Hey listeners, Lex on the Decks here. Before you get stuck into this episode of Hot Girls, I wanted to let you know about something else you may be interested in. Though Hot Girls in its podcast format isn't releasing new episodes any longer, if you head over to my Substack, which is lexonthedecks.substack.com, you'll find more interviews and insight on gender minority artists and how to overcome any barriers to entry. You'll also get the opportunity to sign up to my weekly newsletter, Five Good Things. This is an email letter which will land in your inbox on Fridays, sharing five of my favourite cultural or creative discoveries of the week. You'll find all that on lexonthedex.substack.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hot Girls. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. This week, I am joined by Lyndon J, a man by many names, by which I mean he releases music through a few different guises. Lyndon has done so much. He works out of the carpet shop, a production studio in London, and he works with lots of very well-known artists, people like Sinead Harnett to uh, Jude Dumont to Eric the Architect, while also releasing music under his own name and through a band named Far, all of which we're going to explore in lots of detail over the next hour or so. He's been able to forge a career as a musician, a producer, an engineer, an artist, and he's worked with artists from all over the world and has had some really interesting stories in terms of how those collaborations have come together. So it's a really, really rich conversation, and I hope that you learn as much from it as I did. If you do enjoy this conversation, please do give it a like or subscribe, and even better, tell a friend who you think might enjoy it as well. Without further ado, Lyndon J on the Hot Girls podcast. Let's go. Ladies, gentlemen, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls with Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. Linton J, welcome to the Hot Girls podcast. Thank, Thank you for you joining much. us. Thank you for having me. Normally in these conversations, I work quite chronologically, and I'm definitely going to do that and, and want to kind of work through your career <laughs> journey today. But you did something in December, which I kind of want to dig into first, which was give out a sample pack to female producers and start to engage some of them after hearing that that, that was a bit of an imbalance in the industry. So I wanted to know what kind of got on your radar about that and why you did that and how it went. Yeah, totally. I mean, I have I've grown up in London around tons of musicians. I've always been aware of how there's so many female singers and writers and not very many female producers and engineers and just like studio personnel in general. And like, it was a weird one because I kind of was just like, why? <laughs> like, who is it that not to give <laughs> yeah. it? Who like, is it that they're not like, 
what's going on? Is it their fault? Is it men's fault? Like, what is going on here? Why is then, is it they're not given the belief from a young age that it's a viable career option for them? And the reality is, yes, there's no role models and lots of opportunities are just given to men just advertently. That's just like how produce, the producer game is set up in, in the world. And when I saw a post on Instagram, I think it was She Writes or one of the women's Instagram sort of um, producer pages posted that 2.6% of producers are women. It just shocked me. And I kind of just thought like, what can I actually do rather than just like post a square on Instagram and be like, raise awareness because like, <laughs> great oh, that's obviously every every bit of work is important and positive but I thought what can I actually do that like you know actually makes a difference and I thought oh I'm gonna do like one-to-one production classes for women female producer personnel and stuff and I was like oh cool so I started mentioning it to a few people because I do quite a lot of teaching anyway and then it very quickly became obvious that it wasn't a viable thing to do one-to-ones because how can I do 200 one-to-one classes you know that's just let alone the rest 500 or whatever so I just thought like, why don't I actually give tools? I just thought like, oh, I've got so many samples. Why don't I just make a sample pack and just give it to women only? And then obviously the first thing that popped to my mind was like, I have to do this right. You know, it can't come across as belittling. Like, yeah, like here's a gift for you. Yeah, here's a (laughs) gift because you deserve it. Like patronizing. And obviously that's not what it is at all. But the internet has a very good way of always picking things apart. And luckily I actually got 100% positive feedback from the pack. And I also made a feature. I didn't do a hashtag for it. Um, I didn't try and draw any attention back to myself. It just wasn't about that. I just genuinely wanted to <laughs> like... Hashtag Lyndon Gibbs. Yeah, Lyndon Gibbs, exactly. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of things I thought about and considered when I did it. Um, another one I considered is that I didn't do a video of myself or a picture of myself with the pack. I didn't want it to be about a man giving it away. And it was mm. more of just a post and people could see it was from me, but it wasn't about, hi, I'm a man empowering women. It was just, here's samples, download it girls, basically. Hopefully this is helpful. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I really went in and made sure the pack was a very even spread of like a starter pack. It's just like, if you have this, you are a producer. You don't Mm. have to say like, I do a bit of production. Like you got that pack, you make a few things that it has, there's everything there, the tools you need to be a producer. So yeah, that was basically it. It was just an idea I had and amazingly went, you know, semi-viral and I had over 500 packs and my DMs were overflowing for days and I got my management to help me sort of message everyone back and once I'd done the packs then I had daily people messaging me saying what about those classes you mentioned what about the classes and I thought oh I need to do something I need to do these classes so I started organizing I started replying to everyone who downloaded the pack saying that I was doing some workshops and groups and I made a google form and sent it out to everyone and divided it into uh, six groups Um, I did two beginners classes, three intermediate and one advance. And I did them over December. They were like maybe an hour and 15 minutes long, an hour long, these workshops. And in each class, there was about 20 women, 20 to 30. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. I learned a lot from just putting, I I love teaching and I usually do one-to-one, which is more of a conversation. Um, And I like that style of just sort of like, it's more tailored to what the person actually needs in that moment. And you can ask questions as you go. But obviously when you have a workshop of people, all different abilities who you never met anyone, you know, nothing about anyone, um, there's obviously an element of like, huh, now I actually need to be a teacher and not just like, hey, what do you want to learn? It's like, I need a plan. So it was actually really good. And I felt like I learned a lot about structuring my own thoughts and like where I come from and how I've got to where I am. But I also feel like, I mean, I got a lot of feedback from people who messaged me saying it was just really helpful and inspiring and not like it didn't make it sound impossible Mm. so often watching tutorials on youtube like i'm instantly out my depth i'm just like ah so i kind of like i think i feel like even for the advanced class i still covered the same things as the beginners one because it's 
they're all equally as important. It's more about your mind state and how you approach things. They both serve a different role. I actually, I divided it up into sort of three subjects. There's the technical stuff, like the geeky stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's more like the process. Why are we doing this? What is this? What's a producer and how do I do it? And the third one is like the music industry. And that's all you can ever be. And I think to your point um, around why there is such a gap in the first place, it's all of those three reasons. It's not mm-hmm. just a kind of one or the other and the confidence piece and, you know, understanding that everyone's working out as they go along and having someone be able to share their experience yeah. of that, I think is super I valuable. I literally just blagged it until I became it. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so let's backtrack to where it all started for you and music. Were you a, we, were you a sort of five-year-old prodigy? I <laughs> No, I wasn't five-year-old prodigy. <laughs> but I definitely, I started playing drums when I was 10 because there were some other kids in my class who played drums and I thought that was cool. It um, was cool. Yeah, Still it, was, is. it was cool. <laughs> we used to go to the drum room and play and I was completely obsessed with drums from the age of 10 till, I mean, what, like 18 to school, really. Mm. And everyone used to go and play football and I used to go and play, put ACDC on my headphones and rock out on my own. And, you know, I was into like Rage and Linkin Park and all that stuff. And then uh-huh. sort of slowly later in my teens, I got into like the more musical side of hip hop, like Wu-Tang and outside of rock and uh, hip hop. Like, I, yeah. I mean, to be honest, the thing that really inspired me growing up was soul music. And I kind of like didn't know what soul music was. Okay. I remember having a Walkman and walking to school and I, I printed a CD of some stuff that I'd found on Kazaa and LimeWire. And it was James Brown, Nina Simone, and like basically like really passionate soul music that comes from oppressed people. Um, who were having a really hard time in life. And at the time, I was just like, I just love this. It just feels so good. And looking back, it's like, oh, that's the thing that I really, with my heart, feel and became attached to. It's honest expression, that like flow state where people aren't riding a fashion trend or considering what they're doing. And it's just them in their purest form expressing and letting go of something that they don't know how to say in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the thing that inspired me. But I was always just, yeah, I was just completely obsessed with music throughout school. And then I, my progression was that I was, I was a drummer straight up. Just I absolutely love drums, and I always wanted to go and study it. So I finished school. And, and I, did you? Um, sorry, just technical no, stuff. Good. Did you have like drum lessons? Yeah, or I had. Were you just teaching I had, yourself. I had drum lessons at school, and I had a few at home with a good friend of mine's dad used to be in a band and that did well in the '80s, and the drummer from his band actually um, taught me for a few years. I always remember the thing that he taught me that I'll always give him full credit for. Unfortunately, he's passed away now. But he, one thing he said, he was like, "Come on, Lyndon, hit the drums," because I would just be like, kind of stroking them, and I just like that will <laughs> a always, tat. <laughs> yeah, that will just echo in my mind forever. Just like, "Come on, man, like give it some." Never hit the drums half assed like always give it some. And I was like, "That is a I like life that. lesson." Yeah, yeah, that intention I think crosses over to everything as well. Just yeah. like, "Come on, man." <laughs> I love that. But yeah, I studied drums throughout school and I was just practicing all the time. I was completely obsessed. And then I auditioned for three music colleges in the UK and got into none of them. And I think it's because whether it was my ability or my mindset, but I think I went in too open-minded and told them about too many amazing, exciting I was like, I'm gr- I've grown up in London. The electronic music scene's amazing, this and that. And a lot of these colleges are very purist. You have to just mm. be like a jazzer and like they're quite small. So I was going for these conservatoires. Uh-huh. So I think I just didn't appeal and I just didn't, I wasn't the right guy for those you colleges. You didn't fit what they were looking for. I, I guess, yeah. Or I mean, it just, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't the right situation. Anyway, so I ended up deciding to audition for Berkeley in Boston and I went to Dublin for an audition. My mum's incredible. She was like, if you're going to try and get the scholarships of it, 
we can actually send you there, not full fees. Like, let's go to Dublin and do this audition. So I was like, bloody hell. So I went and played this really complex, like jazz fusion piece and basically showed off in my Berkeley audition and then had a long chat with them and then got, got back and I got a half scholarship. So I went off to Berkeley, which is a crazy time, obviously moving countries on your own. Like the first night I got there, I was just sat in my apartment on my own with no bed and no desk. Just I just sat on the floor in my empty wooden room in like central Boston. Yeah, I just like, like looked around. It. Yeah, I was like, have you seen... <laughs> Have you seen Whiplash? No. The movie. I have what, the worst you, cultural, like, no, it's, <laughs> I, you know, I've never seen anything. No, it's all right. I mean, if you watch Whiplash, that's basically like my life story. I even had a girlfriend. I was like, you don't understand. I need to play drums more. I don't have the time. You just don't understand. And I had a teacher make me cry at Berkeley as well because they just tore me to shreds, which looking back again was one of those defining moments where that still echoes yeah. in my head and like adds to my intention and self-belief and like, no, I can do this. Fuck that guy, basically. Well, music college is intense though, isn't it? I mean, oh, friends I have God, who so have intense. been... I honestly think it's almost left them with just such a complex around their ability because yeah. they're like, you were never good enough. I mean, I definitely, it took me like two, three or four years to like de-educate myself of the way I think about approaching music. I think the ultimate is basically like study like a scientist and then perform like a like you're drunk, you could say, or just like mm-hmm. with no inhibitions, just like yeah. completely free. And like to really create that separation of like study and like intellect versus just raw creativity is really hard for people to do, to split, to go from practicing scales to just making a cool piece of art are like almost not related in a way. We, mm. They shouldn't be uh, directly, but it's like the, if you're like a sponge and you just go and absorb all that information, then when you actually create, you've got this huge sort of like catalog of choices. It's like yeah. your weapon bank and expanding that weapon bank. It's like um, people say, learn all the rules so that you can break them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly the same phrase. Yeah, Berkeley was great for that, but I le- definitely learned more from my friends and after uni hangs and jams than I did from actual like teachers. I had one amazing teacher who really like, yeah, he definitely like changed my life. I believe he, my, so my drum teacher at Berkeley, I'd say he's definitely responsible for me becoming a producer. We used to do drum lessons and spend an hour just talking and not playing drums. And he was really like, his approach was like, meditation is more important than practicing drums. Like it's more about your mind than about your actual drumming. And like being a human being first over a musician. And that was like an approach that I was like, wow, that's really deep. And he was a devout Buddhist. And he just like a lot of these, I mean, he's also a living jazz legend. He played with like, you know, Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock. And he's a legend and he's now just teaching at Berkeley in his older age. But his approach really like opened my mind to just being like, oh, I'm actually a human being. That's number one. Did Um, he teach you about um, meditation and stuff? And do you use that now? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily like directly meditation, but we used to do these like practice rudiments, like little regimes that you should give me where it was actually kind of cool so you give me a pattern like it would be like right left right right and then left right left left backwards so like a paradiddle a basic drum rudiment and it'd be like all right here's the click and you put a metronome on and say all right we're going to play it 126 times if you do it less or if you do it more you have to start again right and he'd be uh-huh. then the only way you can do that is by extreme focus if you lose your focus for a second like he's counting he's just the second i start he's just counting he's he's focused and then i get like 123 124 and i get like nervous and stop and he'd be like that was 124 and i'd like start again and like but it wasn't like he was grueling me but he was just teaching me how to actually focus and like he gave me exercise like that that would really work your mind rather than your technical ability Mm -hmm. and i think i mean i ended up running home from those drum lessons to like start making beats because I was just so excited. It like he just managed to make it so exciting um, in a non-geeky way, which I always think is important because I've obviously 
you know, being a producer and studying production and learning, you have to geek out. Um, mm. And but um, you, I think you're right. You want it to come from a place of passion and hunger exactly. rather than coming from a place of like, oh, to, I need to do this just because. You want it to come from your heart, not from your brain, basically. The next part of the story is I only did nine months at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came back to London because I actually really badly hurt my back. I'd slipped discs in my back. Came back to London because I couldn't play drums and everything was a bit of a shambles. It was pretty depressing, obviously. And then I was at a festival and I got an opportunity from an artist to go and tour doing sound for them, front of house. They were like, are you in London? And I was like, well, I've deferred Berkeley for a bit. I'm gonna get into you know, a few engineering opportunities because I always loved sort of the sound design and sound tech stuff. But obviously I wasn't a front of house engineer. I just said yes. And then emailed every, it was, so it was, it was 29 shows in 30 days. Um, with this group called Foreign Beggars, a UK hip hop group. Uh-huh. Um, and they asked me to, yeah, to come on the road and do sound with them because they're good friends. So I basically like read 20 manuals of mixing consoles <laughs> for every console that was, I was going to use. And I just went in a van with them and did the shows, 29 shows. At the end of it, I was definitely a sound engineer. The first five or six shows, I was not a sound engineer. By the end of it, I was a sound engineer. And then I realized, actually, you know what? I don't really love engineering that much like set live bands it's quite stressful mm-hmm. and yeah. you're only as good as you're your last guy. gig yeah, yeah it's either you're the you... guy if it's wrong like it's all if it's fault. wrong it's your fault and if it's good no one even no one notices no, no yeah, one notices it just worked so but it was cool I learned a lot but then kind of in the picture where I see that as a vital piece of the puzzle was that after that I thought okay well I'm a musician and I'm an engineer and like a producer is basically both of those combined bang in the mm. middle of a producer and engineer is a uh, of an engineer and a drummer, sorry, is a um, a producer. So it kind of just like I became a producer by mistake. And then it was from that point, it's just like my trajectory till now, I've just been riding that wave of doing the like multifaceted, wide skill set producer. So I'm not just like one hyper specialized thing. Obviously, I'm a drummer, that's main, but these days I'm writing and mixing and playing and add additional producing and mastering. And I mean, it's every, yeah, it covers so much. All of the above. Yeah, all of the above. But I think that's what you have to do in 2020, in 2021, sorry, to actually be a producer. It's not about just being hyper-specialized anymore. When you went through that experience where you slipped the disc in your back, being at a space where you were kind of pursuing a career as a sort of top-end drummer in a high musical, mm-hmm. did you have any kind of crisis moments? Did you think, oh yeah, my career as a drummer is over? Like, And did you have to do a lot of self-talk to get over that? Or was yeah, I that definitely remember in that period of time in my life listening to loads of James Blake and feeling quite sad. yeah it was it was a weird transition because I was like ah the thing obviously my number one passion I can't really do it without it hurting but I managed to find ways I remember I just I got really into just like the technical side of it and the engineering stuff and I still Mm. it was a muscle I was still exercising it was still like exciting to me I was still mixing drums just not playing them Okay, so I want to talk about that transition that you made from, Mm -hmm. so you'd been on tour as a sound engineer and then came back to London and were like, okay, I want to do this producing thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How did you build your early relationships? I I read in an interview, and correct me if this is wrong, but that Shift Key was a school friend and you did early work with him. Yeah, that's actually what I was just going to mention is that when I came back to the UK, I was meeting up with friends and producers and actually I grew up at school playing in a band with Shift Key, really close friend, and then we started making a lot of music. And we sort of like from the very beginning taught each other how to like what an EQ does and like finding like drum sample packs online. And we started our producer journey together and we were into the same stuff. And like I was making a lot of dance music influence stuff back then 
and we made a song called Break the Hold, which was meant to be a Lyndon J and Shifkey collab, but Shifkey was already in a deal. And for some reason he couldn't, I can't remember the exact scenario, but it ended up being just a solo Lyndon J track. Mm-hmm. And then Sony, my managers at the time, a guy at Sony was interested and I ended up signing like a three single deal at Sony. And before I knew it, I was like getting that photo at the Sony office being like, I signed a deal. <laughs> and I was kind of like, what the absolute fuck Did is I? going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, it just didn't sit right, but it was great. And it was, I learned a lot. I mean, I like, arrived at my own video shoot that they'd organized, the label had organized, and I was like, "What's going on? This doesn't feel like my song," you know. So yeah, it was cool, but that's just how a lot of younger artists, you know, that will get signed, and they hope that I was going to be the next Gorgon City or the next Calvin Harris. Even uh-huh. that was the model. They were like, "He's the guy. We're just going to go." And I had like record of the week on Radio One, and I was like, "Whoa, this is hella intense." Did you have that vision? Did you want that? Were you like, no, "It was"? Oh, no, I, I can't mean, wait to be behind the decks, like fist pumping or whatever. Yeah, well, so that bit no but obviously I wanted to put music out and for it to be successful and enjoy yeah. it and love my love what I do but it just was like it all very happened very quickly and it was great no regrets and off the back of that I started doing more sessions and ended up putting out one more track on Sony and then got out of that deal um, and then from then on I just sort of like self-released produced for a lot of other artists and then I ended up starting my band, which is a whole nother conversation. Yeah, which we will go into as well. Yeah, that's um, all good. I suppose you, because you've literally from day one had such broad music tastes, mm-hmm. did you ever feel pressure or have you ever felt pressure to pick a genre? I kind of always had this thing of like, I'm just going to make them all. And I'll do some sessions with different people for different things and they all will find a home. They're not all going to come out as Lyndon J tracks, but mm. it's healthy exercising all those different genres and constantly exploring and being open. Because I was also touring a lot with a friend of mine, Reeps, who's a beatboxer. And that was in like dance. We were in like clubs all over the world. Like, for you know, we did like tours. So I was in clubs a lot and dance music did just like inspire me a lot. But as I've got a little bit older, I've gone back to like the arts of the song and like more headphone it's like the music for the extroverts and the music for the introverts and I definitely make more like introvert music these days also mm-hmm. because of the times there's no clubs I feel like my I just express myself more honestly in a non-dance form these days anyway yeah um, but <laughs> then the life then, you're living <laughs> yeah but then at the same time I still did some stuff on Duke Dumont's album and like I still get it and I still love it it's just not what I'm doing daily I'm much more in like play some chords on guitar kind of thing and it's most of the most of the projects now because obviously you've been working and you've built your relationships over quite a long period of time mm-hmm. is it generally now labels coming to you or relationships that you already have it's mainly relationships I have and I've got a really great manager who's my friend as well and he's constantly throwing ideas at me and it's generally networking and just being like that guy and just always kind of like try it's a numbers game isn't it Mm. I just send beats to people like I'm just I'm constantly like trying to make something happen because you don't know which thing is going to just randomly work out yeah Um, and also if you're inspired by different things at different times and you're like "Mm, this is something I'm into it wouldn't be right for this person but it'd be kind of cool for this person yeah so far Mm -hmm. let's talk about that and particularly being transatlantic how yeah. did you link with Romy in the first place? So, yeah, it's, it's sort of, there's a lot there as far as like how the project sort of started and where it's come to now. But I always wanted to, I always looked at Timberland and thought like, oh, it's so cool how he like lived through Aaliyah. And I was like, it's so cool how like Justin Timberlake, like Pharrell was like the guy. They found this partnership with a singer, producer-singer partnership that really mm. helped the producers sound grow. And 
was a yeah. project that yeah so I was like and how Timberland can I... and Missy that's one of my yeah favorites. Timberland and Missy you know the thing that was difficult about that time when I was on Sony and stuff is I was so constantly chasing singers because I needed them to feature on my song like like Muramasa would like every song's with a different singer on it yeah and then I was like oh, I don't want to do that thing where I go on tour and I have to take like two session singers who sing all the songs like I always I just like, I want to just have a singer that I just work with all the time and then I met Romeo so the story with Romeo is I got recommended him through a friend um, who works at a publishing company sent an email with like a little like an example of Romeo singing and it was like a pop pitch song I listened to it and thought like oh you know maybe I'll do a half day in the studio he sounds cool like we'll see what it's all about he comes down to the studio, he walks in and says, oh, it smells good in here. And um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I was like, cool, man. Like, nice to meet you. Come in. And anyway, we hung out, smoked and just started making some music and had a great session and wrote a song called Down, which actually ended up being our first release. So it's like we started chronologically from the beginning. We did that first session and then he went back to L.A. and we kept in touch and started sending ideas back and forth. And within the first few weeks of knowing each other, we had about seven or eight songs together. So I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, let's do a Lyndon J and Romeo sort of like collab project. And then after speaking to a few people, they were like, no one really cares if two artists they haven't heard of collab. It's not like a hype thing. We're like Mad Lib and MF Doom come together to make Mad yeah. Lib. Everyone's like, oh my God. It's like, no one knows. So you kind of need to be iconic, don't you? Yeah, really? exactly. So I was like... like, let's just start. Well, I wasn't. He was like, let's start a band. And I was like, oh, I do Born Dirty and my own project. Basically, no. <laughs> and he was like, oh man. And then like a couple of weeks later, I was like, all right, let's do it. So we didn't have a name for a while, but deciding that we was going to do a project with someone who lives in another continent, um, it's obviously a strange life choice. But now looking at the current circumstances of the way everyone works on Zoom, we've been doing this for about four years now. Yeah. Um, so I'm an expert of online sessions. Like the whole <laughs> you process, were ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm like beyond ready for just like sitting on Zoom and making songs with people. It is difficult at the moment because we were on tour in March. We were supporting Khalees um, around the world, which was awesome. Love and her. we did our last show in Brussels and then the announcements happened. We were at an airport the day that the lockdown started, got back to London. And in the middle of the tour that day, we were at home and I said to Romeo, like, oh, this, I can't believe the Italy show tomorrow is cancelled. Like, what a shame, you know? So I said, oh, let me play you this track. And I was on my way to the computer to play a song. And before I got to my computer, literally the whole world fell apart. So our manager called and said, the whole tour's cancelled and Romeo has to pack his bags and go back to America tonight. Otherwise, he might not be able to get home. And within like an hour, he just like left and went back to America. And that was the last time I've seen Romeo. That's it. <laughs> so I haven't seen him since March. It's just in the middle of the tour. He was just like, I'm going home, bye. And he like had stuff still around my house. He was like packing his bags like flurried because I was because of the lockdown, the restrictions, the borders. Anyway, so that was the last time I saw her in March. And since then, we've made a lot of music, but we haven't finished many songs. And it's been quite difficult to really connect. It's been such a long time now. We haven't seen each other that mm. we still talk most days and write together. But like the next time we get in a room with each other, like a lot of songs are going to get finished. But then I also um, I work closely with this rapper called Eric the Architect. We actually met because he posted a far song on Instagram. And then I replied being like, yo, thanks, bro. And he was like, I love you guys. And then we just kind of like started talking. Were you aware of his music? Like, Did yeah, he have music? So, yeah, he's in, he's in a group called Flatbush Zombies. 
Uh-huh. An American uh, from New York, a hip hop group. He's a producer and he raps in it as well. Anyway, we just started talking and then I said, like, oh, we should, you know, I should send you some stuff. We should get working on some music. It's just over a year ago. And then he's like, I'm actually in Paris on a video shoot right now. I've got the day off tomorrow. I was thinking of coming to London. I was like, let's meet, man. So he just came to London and I met him in Shoreditch. Felt like it was a catfish because I never met him. I was like, wait, you know, <laughs> on Instagram, I didn't even have his number. Yeah, looking like, at pictures of him yeah, and yeah, looking yeah, up. It was so weird. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, we linked up and he's like, what do you want to do? He's like, just go to the studio. And we just started working and we made a couple of things at my house. And then he went back to LA and then we hung out once in LA, which was cool, me and Eric. But for the last year, we've FaceTimed most days. And he's become oh. a really close friend of mine. And I've made his entire project, the EP, Six Tracks. And it's a really important project for me because it happened completely organically. And it's an American artist. And every single feature on the project is UK British, British feature. So it's a really unique project because I brought in sort of all the British singers for an American project. And I think, I mean, we've got Loyal Connor on there, Pitt Millet, there's one song featuring Far, we've got Sophie Faith. Yeah, it's an exciting project. You've touched on it a little bit, but you obviously work in such a range of different things. And I guess you're making beats like a lot of the time, just not necessarily knowing exactly where they're going to go or what they're going to do with it. How do you evaluate who you want to give things to? Or yeah, what that, you want that to keep is tricky. Um, I have my small smirk, small circle, small smirkle um, of, <laughs> of people. That I call I, them my smirkle. <laughs> my my smirkle. Um, <laughs> I have yeah my group of people that I trust to just send stuff to, even if it's not for them. So Romeo, obviously from far. Eric, I send like if I write a song with a singer that's like a pop track, I can still send it to Eric, and he'll be like, "Sick, I love this," or like, "Oh, like what's that sound? Let's do something like that for my project." Or like, I can trust that he's not gonna just be like, he'll give me honest criticism that I need in, in a way that won't make me feel shit about my art, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and surrounding <laughs> yourself with those people is the ultimate goal. As far as like beats, I generally, if I meet someone or I'm, my manager says there's someone who they, they, we can get beats to this artist, I'll make a folder called Lyndon J and whoever the artist is and then I just go through I've got a big beat vault of everything I'm working on that hasn't been used yet it's just like basically a big mess of like everything I've got folders where everything's categorized a bit more but there's one master folder of everything um, and I just sometimes just literally scroll through and just have that person in my mind and go through, just flick through different beats. And obviously the second one just starts playing. I can instantly imagine if it's the right energy, mm. that beat. So then I just kind of throw them into a folder and start. Maybe I'll throw 15 things in there and then narrow it down to maybe 10 or even five and then send them out. And then a tricky thing is that just because... <laughs> A beat I made, I sent to someone. Obviously, it doesn't mean it's theirs until yeah. they say, hey, man, I want to use it. And then it's theirs. But I have run into a few situations and I'm still learning how to basically navigate sending the same thing to loads of people and not getting yourself into a tricky situation. Because I've got myself into a few when a year later someone goes, yo, man, I want to put that beat on my project. And I'm like, well, I haven't uh... heard from you for a year. And that song's been finished and signed off and out with another artist. And they're like, what the hell? You didn't tell me. It's like, well, you didn't reply when I sent the beat. So like, <laughs> yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. So in the early lockdown days, James Blake did a um, Instagram live where he where he sort of did a big producer Q and A. Mm-hmm. I watched it, and someone asked him the question: If you were going to give some advice to producers starting out, what would it be? And he said, study Bach, <laughs> which is a big piece of advice. Really, mate? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, I mean, was like, good what idea, can you do with like, that? What? It's yeah. hard. Um, I mean, it works for him. No, by all means, yeah, study exactly. Bach. But like, that's not the first thing I'd say. So there's one thing that I always sort of encourage artists and just generally people to do is collaborate. And I was always from the mindset of that. 
I had to take every record from A to Z. I had to like make the beat and be there when they wrote the lyrics and mix it and master it, otherwise it wasn't mine. Collaborating gives you obviously a whole new perspective and spending so long on your own, especially in lockdown, you kind of end up making problems that don't exist and like you can backtrack and make your things worse. Sending stuff to people and getting not only opinions, but getting people to play on things and like letting the process be fluid. There's a gap between your taste and your skill. And like as a new artist, maybe your taste is like, oh, I love like crazy jazz piano. But it's like your skill, you can't achieve that. It's mm -hmm. like, how do you make your music sound like it has tasty jazz piano on it? You collaborate with a great jazz pianist. Do you approach it like a day job as in you're like, okay, nine to five? Um... Hell no. <laughs> I just work and work and work and listen to myself. And if I'm exhausted, I stop. Uh -huh. And I definitely have a lot of energy for getting things done. Always in the session of like, how can I get the most out of this? That's what I'm constantly thinking. Like, how can I not waste this time? But obviously, sometimes you just have to go with the flow and sort of catch yourself off guard. Like the thing that you thought you didn't, you're like, oh, whatever, the session's whatever. I'm just making this whatever be. That can be special. But always just bouncing things and naming them and putting them in a folder so that you can come back to them and not letting things just get lost. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a weird, crazy job because it's, <laughs> it's just a weird, every, crazy job. Because every that's day why it's you're just working with though. hope. You just have to have so mm. much self belief. Back to what I was saying before. If you just believe in yourself and keep going, like it will work out in the long run. Yeah, you're working with hope. I like that. Yeah, it's true. You share a studio as well, right? Yeah, I share a studio in North London. How how did the carpet how, shop? The carpet shop how did you guys come together i got the studio about six years ago um, and i shared with a producer called fred cox for about four years um almost five years that was awesome and we literally just split the room the time in half that's 50 50 and then we have a small room next door that we had as like the extra room if you want to do a day session in there when the room's being used and that was great me and fred had a great thing going there and then fred moved into a house where he had his studio there so that made a lot of sense for him he could have a studio every day instead of half the time fair um <laughs> and then Two amazing producers, Phil Simmons and Owen Cutts, both moved in. So Owen's got the small room, me and Phil sh still share the bigger room and we have all our gear in there and it is brilliant. Um, it's just such an amazing, like safe, creative space for people to come into. I still also have a set up at home, which I work with like, close friends there. But when I'm with an artist I haven't met or obviously now because of COVID, that's not happening as much. But the, the vibe of the studio is it's right somewhere bang in the middle of a living room and a professional recording studio. So people come in and feel like they can be at home and relax and it's a safe space to be creative and say what you got to say and get whatever out of you whatever in you out of you and that's what i love about our studio it is a safe environment to people be in and people come in and they're like whoa this feels yeah. good that's like, kind of perfect for like what you like exactly some of the points you've said uh -huh. in this conversation there's not about too much there's not too much i mean there's pressure in, t in the sense that there's like big speakers and loads of keyboards and like it is like oh god you definitely have to make it's music a musical in this space yeah. yeah exactly but once you get into a flow in there it's yeah a lot of time can pass very quickly and um, is there anything you wish you'd known starting out so maybe like five years ago is there anything that would have been useful to know oh that's such a hard question i'm trying to think of the most valuable things trust your taste a hundred percent yeah like all you've got in this crazy music industry and moving forward as an artist and as a producer as someone who's part of the culture is your taste and that's like being a tastemaker is what makes you passionately profoundly yourself and i think that i'd hate to look back in 40 years or 30 years and go, oh, I made a load of music that I was a bit meh about. So trusting your taste from the very beginning and just being like, you know what, if I think it's good, then it's good. And that's yeah. fine. So yeah, that's what I definitely say to myself, because I feel like these days I'm much more just like, yeah, when I like something, I 
I know that it's okay for me to like, even if someone else says, I don't really like that. I'm like, no, you know what? I like it. So, you know, I'm going to yeah. put this song out because it's my song and I like it. And just being really aware of, um, of that fact. So to my younger self, I definitely say just like, trust what you like. When you like something, you like it. That's fine. Yeah, I think that's so important. Okay, I have a final question for you. And it's potentially a big question, but let's see. 2020 has obviously been a really weird year. Whose attitude and approach, because obviously you work with loads of different people, yeah has inspired you last year i will always appreciate like i mentioned i always appreciate eric's mentality and who he is as a friend to me he's makes me feel like it's okay for me to be myself every day same with romeo they're two very close friends who they make me feel confident in everything i'm doing um, and they just believe in my journey so those two real big shout outs whose attitude what was the question attitude and approach to the year and just to i guess to life but just in yeah. in extreme Some, circumstances um, in a pandemic <laughs> yeah so, uh, someone a close friend that always inspires me and sort of makes me remember why i'm doing this his name's harry and his stage name is reap swan i mentioned him earlier um but he's an incredible critical thinker he does a lot of lecturing and works in education and science as well as being a crazy artist with his ink and pens as well as a musician oh. artist yeah designer he's just like an all-round creative genius legend absolutely love him and every time we talk yeah he just he's known me for it since I was young as well we met when we were 17 so yeah him as a character in my life is incredibly important and I just I value his, the way he looks at the bigger picture his sort of approach to everything in life is like if it's already a format it's boring mm. so he's just like break every single boundary and sometimes it that's gets so brave it's so unbelievably brave but he definitely sometimes i'm like come on man that's pretty like out that's a pretty out there concept like you should do that but like your mind is amazing like yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's the most incredible guy for connecting dots and having a real real strong proof of concept um, and it being really like an incredible project, but it being wacky and different and completely non-format and in ways, create creativity in ways you hadn't thought about, exhibits that are totally different to the norm. He's just completely anti-format. And for me, that is like unbelievably inspiring for someone to be like, you know what, I'm only doing it my way because everyone else's way is boring. Yeah, and I'm not even going to kind of think about how it's different to other people's. It's like theirs isn't, it's not even a... He's not even bothered. He's just like, yeah. I want to just do some crazy shit. I watched some of his videos earlier, actually. There, it's yeah. like, I found it incredibly emotive. Like there's something exactly. about the way he communicates. Definitely. Like, he's just, yeah, he's an incredible guy. Big love for Harry. And I, I always say final question, then I ask another question. That's all right. Plans for the year ahead things that you're excited about and I also feel like you're someone who you kind of like as you said because you keep rolling there's probably things that are about to come up this year that you could not even predict but what are some things that maybe you can so I mean in the near term the next couple of months with Romeo with the FAR project we're doing a virtual like tour world tour it's called FAR from home Um, hey (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's really cool we've got a green screen set up we spent a long time developing this show and it's sort of like we go around to all different locations in the world and it's a full world tour and we play all our songs and it's like combined with sort of like definitely a lot of tongue-in-cheek comedy we're basically just two like goofy stonery guys in the show and he sings his absolute, <laughs> he sings his absolute head off and i play a lot of different instruments at the same time and it's a really fun cool show there's just a lot of technical stuff that we figured out to get it working and we're like it's like 98 percent stable right now so we're doing final testing and we're getting one more mate involved um, and a few more designs for the different songs and the visuals but it's really cool because we've actually it's a visual show Um, whenever we toured in the past we weren't able to have big visuals because obviously the cost and bringing someone to do that an extra person to do lights and stuff but now we can just do it all ourselves and with the green screen behind us is the visual show for our tour so it's like we're actually i'll show yeah the show is really fun i hope you can catch that 
Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. That's going to be on Twitch. I'm wrapping up a few sort of projects from the end of last year, different productions for different people. I'm working on a few other projects. I've got two songs coming out on someone's album that is really, really big. I can't say who it is yet. But like, I think after February, things are going to change a little bit. As well, you've far worked as just, for some pretty big artists, so it's... In, no, like, this it's is in, different levels. That's interesting you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is different levels. This is like really, really exciting. But yeah, I mean, I'm only mentioning it, not the name, but I'm mentioning it because it is happening. Um, mm. It just hasn't actually been 100% signed off. Yeah. But like, it's happening though. Well, best like they started to do. video treatments and stuff. Like it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. feel like you're in a safe space to mention it, even yeah, though but it's I can't kind of the name yet. <laughs> um, a, few, a few things like that. Songs from last year that I was just like I'm waiting for them to come out, and then a lot of songs floating around that are sort of almost done with different people. And I think once this lockdown's over, and I can get back into sort of a few sessions. A lot of things will be finished, and all my sessions for January got cancelled. Um, I've moved <sighs> yeah. everything, but I'm actually fine with it this year because of the amount of uncertainty. I think a really important thing is to focus on your own projects and know that there's stuff that you can do when you wake up at home and just keep being productive and excited and not waiting around for something or someone. So I am going to put out more Lyndon J solo music this year. Exciting. We are going to do a bunch more far singles and work towards an EP probably mid middle of the year. And then, yeah, I'm just like going to just make beats until I can't see anymore. Where are you at on the socials? What are your favourite channels? So I'm mainly most active on Instagram, at Lyndon J. Yeah, <laughs> I got the handle. Um, yeah. I, used to, I used to be Lyndon J Music, but I dropped the music, but I still do music. It's just not in my name. <laughs> yeah. In case anyone's got to the I'm end worried, of this conversation yeah. and thinks, what does this guy do? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I do have a TikTok and I post on that every now and then and I'm on Twitter and all over the place and YouTube. But yeah, Instagram is my main sort of medium for medium for communication and where I post my day-to-day updates definitely looking forward to seeing your TikTok dances <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um, the same with far that's far underscore music um, on Instagram and yeah stay in touch and in other places all streaming platforms yeah Lyndon J and far on all streaming platforms totally thanks very much for thanks listening so much. guys I hope you awesome. uh hope you learned something I'm sure you did and <laughs> we'll see you next week all right. bye thank you bye <laughs> Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.